0: Good morning everyone. So good to be with you here at our Bible hour time. Please turn in your Bibles to the Book of Titus. It'll be Titus chapter 1. I'm sure thank Caleb and Micah for their distributing the outlines for today. And there's a larger outline as well for the entire book of Titus, and we're now at the third portion of this uh, topic and task. So today we're looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to the end of the chapter, and then the first verse of chapter 2 as well. Titus is to begin a work there in the island of Crete that has been started by Paul and Titus, and he's to put things in order. It's quite a large task that he's being asked to do, and it's a short period of time. We might say it's six months, perhaps a little longer than that, because there's going to be a replacement for him. It's going to be either Artemis or Tychicus. We find this out at the end of the letter that will be taking the place of Titus as far as these tasks are concerned. What we have is a set of continued instructions in today's portion for elders and for Titus in the formidable ministry that's going to be facing them on this evangelized island of Crete. Titus has been asked to appoint elders in every city and every town as he was directed. Two weeks ago, we had a thorough description of an elder's personal qualifications, both public and private. There were the negative traits, the positive traits of an elder. There were the doctrinal truths that an elder was to hold to. And there was holding the trustworthy word that was given as a responsibility to an elder. Let's look at that in verse 9 of chapter 1. He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who confute it or contradict it. There are two purpose statements in this qualification of holding forth the word of instruction. One is to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine to those that are in the church, the believers that are in the church. The second one is really more of what we'll be thinking about today, to rebuke those who contradict it. This is not a real pleasant sermon for someone to give. Uh, I'm going to have another portion in Titus chapter 3, and it sounds like almost the very same sermon that I'll be giving on that one. It is the protection of the doctrine, protection of the word of God, protection of the assembly. And so what we'll be saying today is not uh, particularly enjoyable, but it's a responsibility that we have Holding on to the word that the elders will be given, they also have in their hands a number of documents that are in circulation at this time. You would have the letter to James. It was probably the first letter that was written among Christians at the time. There's the circular letters that were written in the uh, the late 50s or early 60s of uh, the time of the first century. That would be Colossians. There's a letter we don't have uh, today. It's the letter to Laodicea. It was alluded to by Paul in Colossians. Colossians were to read the letter that came to the Colossians and they were to pass it on to Laodicea. The Laodiceans were to take that letter and pass it on to the Colossians. There were these circular letters that were taking place. The book of Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians had all been written by this time. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians again were written and possibly circulated 1st and 2nd Peter close to this time and Matthew and Mark probably were written by this time Matthew to the Jews Mark to the Romans early gospels that were coming out at this time Paul goes on in this portion of this letter for the reasons for the qualifications of elder and to hold forth the word. We'll be reading Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And as we read this, I want you to notice that there are at least three groups that are mentioned in this portion that we'll be reading. First of all, it's written primarily to Titus, this man who's given the task. But then there are three other groups to keep in mind. The elders, the empty talking deceivers, and every Christian believer that are in the churches there in Crete. Let me say those again, the three groups. The elders, the empty talking deceivers, and every Christian believer that's in the churches there in Crete. The elders are to be instructed by Titus with warnings about these deceivers. Paul has stern warnings for the saved elders and other believers about the deceivers. And the empty talking deceivers are spoken about by Paul to Titus in Paul's description of these deceivers. Now, as you'll be following along in the reading, you'll notice that there are a lot of pronouns in this. So we have to keep track of who's being talked about in this portion of Scripture. So let's start in verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, Especially those of the circumcision party. So, there it's talking about these individuals. They're not believers, but they're meeting with Christians there in the churches in Crete. Then, the first pronoun, they must be silenced. So, the they is referring to the empty, talking deceivers, but then the elders are addressed here, and certainly Titus. They must be silenced. Silent, uh, Titus, you have to give the responsibility to these elders. They have to silence these people, so the elders are being addressed there. Now, back to another pronoun. Since they are upsetting whole families, that's talking about the unbelieving deceivers. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Again, the uh, empty talking deceivers. One of the Cretans, a poet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul's quoting an old Cretan poet here. The poem is 600 years old that Paul's alluding to. But he says the, the poet himself, who is a Cretan, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy guttons. Then Paul gives his uh, affirmation of this. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Now that becomes a tough one. Rebuke them sharply. You do not rebuke unbelievers. You reject unbelievers. What you do is you rebuke them sharply. Who's being spoken to here? I believe it's Christians in the fellowship. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So the Christians would include the elders. That Paul is speaking to Christians, elders there, that they may be sound in faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, now that's believers. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we are accounted in God's sight as pure, justified, righteous in His sight. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. That's talking about this group of deceivers that's there in the church. To To the defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure. Now, everything following this uh, in verse 16, is speaking about these unbelievers. Notice the frankness that Paul speaks with here. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then back to Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Perhaps a quote from the Living Bible here will help you. Uh, The Living Bible, that started to be developed when I was a teenager back in the 60s. Uh, One of them was Come Alive by Ken Taylor. And he uh, took the words and put them in much more modern-sounding English uh, than we had back at the time with the King James being the most popular of uh, all the translations that were available and alive. When I was a kid, I didn't think there was any translation but the King James. And I thought that the only proper King James was the Schofield Bible. And my dad would have readings there at, uh, at our church there in Roseland. He'd say, now let's turn to a certain portion. We'd read it. And then when it was time to turn to page, every page turned at the same time. So the Living Bible was a really uh, revolutionary kind of thing that took place at that time. Ken Taylor is the one who wrote it. I went to school with his daughter, Janet, and Janet and I had kind of an enthusiastic discussion about uh, who should date who there in the dining hall at Wheaton. Uh, The discussion did not come out satisfactorily to me. So I haven't thought much of the Living Bible by Ken Taylor ever since that incident. But here I'm going to use it uh, because I think it clarifies things. Starting in verse 10, just listen. If you want to follow along in translation, uh, that's fine. But let's take Ken Taylor's here. For there are many who refuse to obey. This is especially true among those who say that all Christians must obey Jewish laws. Now see, that's referring to Christians, elders there. This is foolish talk. It blinds people to the truth, and it must be stopped. Speaking to the elders, again, has to be stopped. Already whole families have been turned away from the grace of God. Such teachers, the empty talkers, are only after your money. One of their own men, a prophet of Crete, has said about them These men of Crete are all liars. They're like lazy animals living only to satisfy their stomachs. And this is true. So speak to the Christians there in Crete as sternly as is necessary to make them strong in the faith and to stop them from listening to Jewish folk tales. In the demands of men, the empty talkers, who have turned their backs on the truth. A person who is pure in heart sees goodness and purity in everything. That's talking about the Christians. But a person whose heart is evil and untrusting finds everything evil. For his mind is dirty and rebellious. His heart colors all that he sees. Such persons claim they know God, but from seeing the way they act, one knows they don't. They are rotten, disobedient, worthless so far as any good thing is concerned. Really quite stark and remarkable language by Paul as he instructs Titus. And as Titus then gives his instruction to those that are there in Crete. I do want to point out the portion that says here at the very end of uh, verse 16. It's the first introduction of good works. You'll notice that this will follow on several times, five times in the book. In chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself a model of good works. In verse 14 of chapter 2, who gave himself for us that he might have a people zealous of good works. Continuing on in verse 3, talks about every good work. And finally, in verse 14, It speaks about let our people devote themselves to good works. I'll be speaking about the integrity of the gospel today and the need for the purity of the gospel. It does not mean that there is an abandonment of good works and the encouragement of good works by the Lord. What it does is it puts good works in their proper place. Good works come from God giving us a new nature and that these good works are there for the purpose of bringing glory and praise to God. There is a place for good works, but these good works have no place in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is reserved totally, exclusively, only for the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We contribute nothing to that work in order to be saved. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this portion in the word of text. It's a sobering and an area that we don't enjoy going to. And praise God, we haven't had to go to it much at all here at Northern Hills. Continue to protect us, we pray. I pray that the purity of the gospel will come out in what I share today. Bless the Sunday school classes, Lord. Thank you for those that have prepared and teach them. Bless the students as they're there for the Sunday school class. May it be an enriching time, giving them an eternal perspective on their life and their eternal lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the text, verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. The reason that an elder is to have firmness in the word and the ability to instruct and also to rebuke is revealed for us here. The reason for it is is that these deceivers are already in the church. They're at Crete. They're there. They're giving their false doctrine about the gospel. And there has to be an alertness on the part of Titus and on the part of those elders that he's appointing to make sure that these deceivers are stopped in this talk. Deceivers are insubordinate, empty talkers, especially from the circumcision party. The circumcision party or the circumcision group is a group of Judaizers who insisted that believers in the Lord Jesus must follow the law, especially with circumcision being emphasized. You must follow the law in order to be saved. You had to follow the law and obey the law in order to be saved. Now, Paul already devoted the entire book of Galatians to stamping out this false doctrine. He's very blunt, very frank. If anyone who's eloquent comes and speaks to you and doesn't speak this gospel, the gospel of faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. He goes on, If an angel himself would come, and preach a false gospel. Let that individual be accursed. There is no compromising as far as Paul is concerned. The deceivers were saying that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was not enough for salvation. There must be works added to that in order to be saved. This will eliminate whole sections of the Scripture if this were true. And I've listed several here. Let's start in John. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's belief in the Lord Jesus that brings salvation because of what Jesus has done. At the end of the book, these things are written unto you so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. It is by belief. Now there Let's go on to Acts. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. I could go on. I have Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, all of which have this very same statement in it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with works that can be added. Let's take the last quote here uh, from First John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The way of salvation is by faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief in Him plus nothing else. Jesus Christ has done it all. He did the work needed for salvation. He is God in the flesh. He bled and died to pay the necessary ransom price for the sins of all mankind. So the righteous judgment of God could be fully satisfied. We can add nothing to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for our salvation. Such blasphemy, such presumption, such self-pride in thinking we can do anything to help improve upon embellish, complete, or finalize, that final, full, finished work of Jesus Christ must be completely absent from our thinking or actions. Our salvation is dependent only and exclusively on the grace and mercy of God extended to us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross to satisfy God's holy demands and for salvation from our sins. We by faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus receive salvation from the punishment of our sins and receive the gift of eternal life. Now I have in big capitals here, I hope you won't mind. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. And I cry it out to you. We worship and praise Him for all He has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God help me if my salvation depended on anything that I would do to contribute to it. The only thing that I do is I come to God as a sinner. And I say like Isaiah, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the only contribution that I make. And even that is done by the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin and causing me to see what an offense I am to the holy God. But He doesn't leave me in that miserable condition, nor does He leave anyone here in that situation. The resounding, ringing Word of God says over and over, from the beginning to the end, yes, you're a sinner, but God loves sinners. Sinners. And this morning I say in absolute affirmation to you today, God loves you. He loves you, dear one. He loves you so much that He died for you. And there is nothing to be added to the simplicity of the Gospel other than to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear one, I've prayed about this. It's not going to be my words or see. It is a supernatural work that takes place to draw someone from death to life I'm going to extend an invitation here, but it's not me saying it. It is the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning and saying to you, God loves you. He wants you in His family. He desires for your sins to be forgiven and for you to receive Him today. This day, today is the day of salvation. Dear one, have you received the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Have you believed on Him for forgiveness of your sins? Have you received the gift of eternal life? Please, (laughs) my begging you, is irrelevant. It is God begging you this morning, see the truth that's here of my love for you, and I want you to be saved forever. Let this be clear in our gospel preaching here at the assembly. In our preaching and teaching of the doctrine of salvation at the assembly. God deliver us from anything else other than the pure gospel of grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul now directs Titus that all such false teachers, empty talkers, deceivers must be silenced. What a directive from Paul to Titus. Those of the circumcision party must be silenced, bridled, Muzzled. The Greek word here apparently means plugging up a water pipe that's having water come out of it. And you have to plug that up. You all know in 2010 there was this huge explosion that took place on the oil rig Deep Horizon there in the Gulf of Mexico. The failure took place as far as the relief of gases. Something ignited the gases down in there. An explosion took place. Then the Particular pieces of machinery that was supposed to cut off the flow, that got destroyed, and so the oil started to pour out, and pour out, and pour out, in thousands of gallons per hour, and they couldn't stop it, and through April, May, June, all the way to July, there was really no substantial stopping of that flow, and the concentration of the nation and on the engineers in the nation and on the Coast Guard and all those that were there trying to stop this thing from coming out, they had to plug it up. It was said by the leaders of our country, plug up the hole. They tried everything. They tried, first of all, a a dome to go over it. It was so cold down there that the oil that was coming out was releasing gas, and that would have created an even larger explosion. Then they tried putting in heavy fluids that they put into a a pipe that's drilled down there. That didn't stop it. It just quickly eliminated them. They tried a series of caps over it. That couldn't do it either. They finally tried to force in there by pressure. They tried to force in a combination of mud and cement, hoping that that cement would then cure inside the pipe. That didn't work. It was only until the engineers got a large enough cap with a valve on it to go over that that was operated by a series of robots that they finally stemmed most of the leaking in July. And it wasn't until three months later in September that they finally declared the leak completely closed. And now here is Paul saying, these people have to be stopped, stuffed up regardless of the cost or the energy or the effort, they must be stopped. Such a directive is for us here as elders at Northern Hills. We must make sure that nothing is done to distort, deceive, detract from the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone in the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. May God protect us from false doctrine regarding salvation. Please pray for the continued integrity of the gospel here at Northern Hills Bible Chapel. When I was a young elder, Bob Bruce pulled me aside and he took me to the bank up here in the Brentwood Shopping Center. And what Bob did is he pulled out the safe deposit box that we have. Bob was taking me into the archives of the assembly. And he was showing me a variety of things. They were interesting. And then he put his arm around me. Here's this older man speaking to me as a young elder. Phil, the most important thing is keeping false doctrine out of the assembly. See, I, I thought Bob was going to show me. Now here are the secret keys. <laughs> this is what you really need to know about how to get in and out of the chapel. Here's No, 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 no. no. Phil, that's irrelevant. The most important thing is making sure that the doctrine is pure at the assembly. That's a deacon speaking to a young elder. And Bob was right. Please pray for the continued integrity of the gospel ministry. If by some means a false gospel should start to enter into the assembly, Please pray that the elders would act directly and decisively to silence those who would attempt to add or take away something from the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Pray more thoroughly that such action would never be needed here at the chapel. There are other areas of practice, tradition, habit, over which there are legitimate disagreements, discussions, and need for accommodation of believers to believers. Please pray for discernment on the part of the elders to wisely make decisions that are loving, caring, thoughtful, helpful, kind, generous, sensitive, and compassionate for those, for those here and for those areas of assembly life. These insubordinate, empty-talking believers were distressing whole families. It says it quite plainly there in verse 11 that they're distressing whole families. Whole families are being put under the bondage of law in connection with the false doctrine of salvation. Here's how it goes. They come in and they affect these families. And now these are the questions that start to come up. Uh, Am I really good enough to be saved? I'm not good enough. I'm so bad... I must do something to merit my salvation. I've got to do something to make myself better in God's sight. God could never love a sinner as sinful as me, so I've got to get some credit with God. I've got to get cred. And that kind of infectious, awful, perverse doctrine comes in. Instead of the pure working of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin... You think in yourself, somehow, I've got to make myself good enough for God. No! <laughs> We're sinful enough just as we are. Please don't add your pride into it. You cannot add anything to the plan of salvation. Instead of the grace which God extends, entire families are infected with the wrong view of God there in Crete. They don't know about his love, his grace, his mercy, and his salvation in the pure sense. Now, it's tough to come up with devotional thoughts out of a little hook like this for Christian behavior. But here's a devotional thought for you. Satan does attack families. False false doctrine is one of his methods. This is why the integrity of an elder's family life is so important to his qualifications. So... Uh, I can speak to the elders, but really, uh, young men, young fathers, and young mothers, I speak very directly to you this morning. I'll speak to the fathers in particular. Dear fathers in the fellowship, let's lovingly protect the spiritual life of our families. Please allow our children to see the delight God the Father has in them by letting our children see the delight we have in our children. Don't let the distorted view of a judgmental, impatient, never-to-be-pleased or satisfied Heavenly Father be in the minds of our children because of our And then I say in boldness, because of my judgmental, impatient, never-to-be-pleased or dissatisfied behavior, attitudes, or actions toward my children or toward your children. God's grace is greater than all our sins. Let our children know that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let them know of the full sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive all of our sins. And let them be assured that they have a heavenly Father who delights in them. I didn't say He delights in their sin, but He delights and loves them. And that's a devotional thought for us this morning. Now, you younger men that are here, make sure that gets communicated to the children that God's entrusted to you. Of a loving Heavenly Father. Let's pause just for a word of prayer. The message will go on. Dear God, our Father, protect our families at Northern Hills. You know what need we have of having our families protected. Where there has been pain inflicted, where there has been abuse given and received, where there has been rupture and division, Lord, heal. Lord, rain great grace, mercy, and healing upon us. O oh Lord, help us, we pray. I pray for all the families here at Northern Hills, not just particular families. I pray for all of the families, whatever their age, situation, history, circumstances. Oh, Lord, heal, help, restore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These deceivers are gaining through their false teaching. It says right here that they do this. This is in verse 11. They are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. We go to the Reformation times and the pre-Reformation times and we know of the common practice of extorting money from people to get their loved ones out of purgatory, a false doctrine. How careful the televangelists of today need to be so thoughtful about not focusing on money. as seeming to be the motivation and even the focus of their ministry. I, I do want to be careful here. How blessed we are at the assembly to have a group of people prepared and gifted to teach the word without the expectation of financial remuneration, getting paid. It is a blessing we have as a group. It is the institutional removal of this temptation to teach for the sake of shameful gain. how I praise God for the generosity of the assembly over the five decades that I've been in fellowship here and sharing with those who are living by faith. I have personal experience with this. My mother-in-law, she never asked for a dime. The Lord sustained her. She lived by faith. Bob Clark, an individual that I looked up to so very much in the early years. Bob never asked for a dime from any of the assemblies that he was associated with. He lived by faith. My son, he's not asking for anything from anyone. He's depending on God by faith. And praise God, the assembly has been generous in their support of such workers over the years. How I thank the Lord for that. May that testimony and that practice continue among us. But as far as the weekly ministry is concerned, how I thank the Lord. None of the men that come up here and minister are getting paid. And it helps guarantee that there's no shameful gain being gotten by anyone here because of the ministry that takes place week to week. Ah, I do want to be careful here. Other groups organize themselves in other ways. God bless them. Other works have pri- other priorities for the use of their money. God bless them and the work that they're doing. We here at the assembly choose to have our ministry come from a doctor, a lawyer, a candy salesman. <laughs> A guy who's distributing drugs to everyone. That's, that's Sean. <laughs> A guy who guarantees our flights will be safe by the integrity of jet engines. Engineers, fifth grade science, social studies teachers. That's who's ministering the gospel. I, I hope that does something for you as far as the ministry goes on week to week. You don't have people that are focusing only on the Word of God, but they're involved in everyday work just like you are. And here they are preaching the gospel and ministering the Word of God to you and not placing a financial... Burden isn't the right word. Financial outlay by the assembly for that ministry. Joe Perriel said it to me uh, perhaps a few months ago. We were having breakfast and he said, you know, one of the great things about the assemblies, they don't pay anybody. (laughs) He says they can use their money in other places. And man alive is that the truth. The business meeting is a delight how wonderful it was to have the deacons come to the elders meeting just this past January's meeting and said, we have complete confidence of the Lord's ability to supply the needs we have as far as the assembly is concerned. Boy, was that a refreshing thing to hear. God meeting our needs in abundance and that we're able to then distribute funds throughout the world for the purpose of the gospel going on. No shameful gain. The reason for the testimony, the reason for the firmness in the word by elders is because of the dangers of false teachers. Paul now speaks about the reality of the Cretans. Let's look at our text, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. This is from a poet named Epimenides. It doesn't come out as real good poetry for us, but uh, still, there it is. And 600 years earlier, he wrote, Cretans are liars, beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this is exactly right. Paul is letting Titus know that from centuries past, the character of the people that he's working with has been marked. Now, Crete was one of the great sites of ancient civilizations. It's called the Minoan Civilization. For Minos, their king, their great palace is in Gnosis, in the center of Crete. The civilization lasted for 2,000 years. The Greeks from the mainland came over to Crete around 300 BC and brought their poetry, their divinities, and their philosophy. In 70 BC, the Romans came and conquered Crete and made it as an outpost, really a focal point of their naval adventures. There in the Mediterranean Sea, that the, so that the Mediterranean Sea really became a Roman lake, and then around sixty sixty five A.D. comes the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It may have come earlier. There were in the day of Pentecost Cretans that were there and heard the Gospel that was preached by Peter that day. So the Gospel may have gone there, but certainly full thrown flown effort by Paul and Titus comes along around sixty to sixty five A.D. And this is what John Phillips writes. Where Minoan religion, Greek philosophy, and Roman rule failed, the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated into these hard-hearted Cretans, and they got saved. Now the Judaizers are attempting to harm and undo what grace had done. Crete was hard ground in which to work. Paul was letting Titus know that, that he empathized and sympathized with Titus. But now there's a rebuke. Let's look in 13, the last part of 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke Christians sharply. I believe rebuke elders sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves. Christians are not to devote themselves to Jewish myths to the commands of people who turn away from the truth, to the pure, all things are pure. I've tried very hard as I prepared this message to reshape, soften, restate what Paul plainly says here. Rebuke them sharply. He's certainly not talking about rebuking unbelieving, obstinate, false teachers. He's talking about rebuking, warning, reprimanding those Christians that were there, including the elders. From different versions, we get this, reprimand them sharply, reprimand them severely, warn them sternly. You just can't get away from the bluntness of Paul in his words to Titus to give to the Christians in the various towns of that island. Now, we can be charitable and say that Paul knew the kind of culture that Titus was dealing with, how difficult Cretans were to deal with but it is the duty of the elders. Elders are to be sound in faith. Know the Scripture. Study the Word. Learn the doctrine. And live the faith before your family and in the fellowship and in the world. It is certainly the Christians in the churches there in Crete that were being rebuked sharply. There is no softening, this reprimanding, or rebuke. And on the authority of the Word of God... I want to make that same charge to us today. Now, let me give a little personal illustration, if I may. (laughs) Heather and I moved here in 1973 from the Chicago area. The elders, and particularly Jim Adams, saw a ripe couple for youth work here at the assembly. And so we had no kids. We had done some youth work up in the Chicago area, and so we were put in charge of the youth group. And man alive, we had just a great time. It really was a wonderful time. (laughs) We had canoeing outings on the Little Miami River. We had overnights. We had campouts. We had all kinds of weekly activities here at the chapel for the kids. We went down to Kentucky to watch the outdoor plays. It it was just a, a great time. And a couple of years went along. And so the elders invited me to a breakfast meal. And so there I was at this hotel restaurant, and there are these five guys and me. (laughs) And they said to me, uh, Phil, thanks for the work you've been doing uh, with youth work. What we want to do is we want to encourage you as far as your speaking ministry at the assembly is concerned, well, you guys, uh, I know how to put youth work together. You know, I know how to get the kids going. I, you know, I know how to get the food and the, all of that. But as far as speaking, I, I'm just not—I'm not prepared. I haven't studied the word real deeply. I'm, I'm just not ready to do that. And I can still remember an elder had a coffee cup in his hand. <clears throat> he put it down with a bang on his saucer, and he looked directly across me at the table. Well, brother, then get it. Just that tone of voice. Not maybe the snarl I had just now. (laughs) Well, brother, then get it. Don't tell us about your shortcomings. Get to work. Get in the Word of God. Start to learn. I do want to say, just as gently as I can to you all today, Not like I was told at that meeting. Get it. You get to work. Study the Word. Know the truth of the doctrine. And be strong and able to handle it. I'm speaking to men and women. Know the truth of the Word of God. Being strong in faith does not occur suddenly. We can't microwave our way to soundness in faith. It takes time, commitment, dedication, years. There is doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness from God's Word. There's the benefit of being with the fellowship of believers who with their help, their prayer, their provocation and their encouragement in our lives that one can grow. To the young ones, both men and women, I gently say, not like I got it back in 1975, get to work. Work at it. Develop your strength of faith. And here's the point. Who knows what's going to come here at Northern Hills in the years to come? Who knows the challenges that are going to be placed here? Uh, it's been said several times in the pulpit, Evan in particular, we're getting older. And we need men and women who are strong in their knowledge of the Word of God. We need future leaders here at the assembly. And you come to that place by working at it now. Studying now. Now getting the word of god in your heart and mind now and in the actions of your life and in the ministry here at the assembly there is to be no devotion to jewish myths or commands it says here in this scripture not giving themselves not giving themselves to jewish myths Uh, and commands, it's in verse 14. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish commands, Jewish misser commands. In the Lord's time, there, there were these Jewish individuals who were starting to develop an oral law. That oral law was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah then became the basis for the Talmud. The Talmud is the large number of writings by Jewish rabbis and leaders over the years. It's a thick, thick book. And the Talmud today is studied more than the Scripture itself by those in the Jewish faith. You can hear the Lord saying it. He says, You've heard that it's been said, but I say unto you, he say, This is what you've heard, people say, here's the truth of the matter. In Matthew 15, he says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? The traditions, even in the Lord's time, were starting to develop. For the sake of the tradition, you've made void the word of God, you hypocrites. He speaks in Matthew 23 seven times, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you blind guides, you hypocrites, you serpents, you brood of vipers. The Lord is saying to them, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You blind guide, you strain at a net and swallow a camel. This is what Paul's talking about is happening here in Crete. These verbal and oral and written traditions that are coming down to the people They are being infected by people that are Judaizers that these things are more important than the Word of God. And the Lord spared nothing in speaking about this in His own ministry. And He's encouraging Titus, do the same thing. Stop this. Devotional thought number two here. Do You notice what the Lord has said here. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, that's a spice. But you've neglected the weight of your matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. How careful I want to be here. We live in a time. We live in a nation. Where the issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness are neglected for other things that are far less important. Now, I'm going to leave the application of that thought to you. Phil, we're on a sinking ship. What are you trying to get me to do? Rearrange the deck chairs and the Titanic as we go down? You can read the scripture. You know that we're headed for judgment. Yeah, we are in a sinking ship. And let's make sure we get people into the lifeboats before it's gone. Titus tells the elders to not devote themselves to myths, oral commands, to devote themselves to Scripture. We have a declaration. It says here in this Scripture, verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. What Paul is speaking about here is is he speaking about the impurity. The context of this is the false teaching of the unbelieving deceivers. The simple purity of the gospel is not to be corrupted, added to. We must be insistent on this article of faith here at the assembly, the purity of the word of God. However, there is another application of this. The Old Testament rules about clean and unclean foods are no longer binding us. We are free from the law. To the pure, all things are pure. We add nothing to the plan of salvation. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or for God to love us less. We are loved and accepted totally and completely by our Heavenly Father. This is what it says in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart is able to look at people, situations, actions, and see them for who they are and what they are. A pure person can take a portion of God's Word and receive it from the Lord regardless of the topic. They can look at the lives of individuals. They can look at Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Joseph, Asenath, Moses, Zipporah, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, David, Abigail, and a pure person sees their faith, see God's grace, see His mercy and goodness and guidance in their lives. A pure person can look honestly and see these great heroes, even with their failures and their terrible choices and their sins, and have sympathy and empathy for them, and see that God's grace is greater than their sins. A defiled person looks at these people in Scripture and sees a drunk, an adulterer, a nag, a man who's a slave to his appetite, a schemer, a supplanter, a victim, a deceiver, a pagan, a murderer, an ethnic cleanser, a coward, a braggart, a person with abnormal sexual desire, and a fool in marriage. A defiled person will dwell on these aspects of character and conduct and not see God's salvation as greater than their sin. A defiled person will expand on the failure and sin of others, not having understanding or care or interest in that person, only in exploiting their sin for their own perverted purposes. A pure person can discuss any topic, whether it be sexual intimacy, finances, Health, relationships, integrity, stress, without that conversation turning into titillation, theft, accusation, judgment, indifference, thoughtlessness, or impure responses. The scripture does this with all of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. And those people, those individuals that are mentioned there, their sins are many and can be easily cataloged. But God does not mention a thing about their sins. He only speaks of how grand and glorious they are in the eyes of God. Does this mean that we can't have relationships with people even here in the assembly who may have difficulty as far as doctrine is concerned or a particular area of doctrine? Of course not. Jesus is a friend to us all and so should we be. There is a word of caution we have to have. We need to be armed as we have relationship with relationships with deliberate unbelievers. Please be in regular prayer for the assembly, for the elders. May it be that God will keep us from such deceivers and such false doctrine. If the time comes when action is needed by the elders in regard to such deceivers that might come into our midst here, please pray that we'll have the courage and the strength to act. Thank you for your prayers. Years ago, we had a man here at the assembly. I only met him a few times, when I say years ago, 60 years ago. His wife faithfully came to the assembly, but this dear man was convinced of the universal quality of God to save everyone, regardless of whether they made a profession of faith, received the Lord Jesus. So the elders drew this man aside, what he was doing. There were pews in the assembly back then. And he would tuck into the place where the hymn books were, tracts, literature that had this false doctrine. And they very gently, very lovingly said, Walter, you can't do that any longer. Don't bring this literature here. You're welcome. The literature is not. He persisted, and finally it had to be said to him, you're no longer welcome here. You continue to speak and distribute this false doctrine. The elders acted lovingly, but decisively, to make sure the doctrine of salvation retained its purity. Please pray here at Northern Hills that will continue to have the truth of the Word of God preached, especially in connection with salvation. Thanks for listening to this portion of Scripture. When you get down to it at this point, it's not real pleasant, but it's needed. Paul thought it was needed by Titus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of the folks here to listen. ask your blessing upon them. Keep us safe as we go home. Dear Lord, preserve the integrity of the word of God and of the gospel here at Northern Hills. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.